this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on the Relax Back UK show. This week, the subject is offices. There's been lots of talk about the return to offices to get back to work or not, or whether we should all be doing hybrid working, etc. I do think that many large companies have been really worried that staff's sort of personal objectives may have changed with COVID, and actually they don't want to spend their whole life at work. Mind you, with the current economic situation, uh, maybe that's changing. Now, pre-COVID, the idea was to try and um, attract and retain talent. Um, you know, we've got they've got to be competitive. So some of the big companies spent an awful lot of time and money investing in their spaces to make them really attractive, to kind of get these new people in and to keep them there so they're not going to go looking for other jobs. Um, over the COVID period, we've really seen a, a much higher, you know, a heightened interest in this because a lot of companies are realizing they're going to have to work very hard to get people back into their office spaces. The attractiveness of the physical workspace and how nice it is to be in and the effect of it on our well-being is something that consultant ergonomist and physiotherapist Juliet Rain knows a lot about. Then how about art on the office walls? Does the process of deciding to have works of art in the workplace and what sort of art it should be. Does that help build community? So we decide what we want in the space and we therefore bond. And because the organisation has trusted us to do that, we bond with the organisation that let us do it. So it reduces us and them. And again, that builds up mental cohesion, psychological belief within an organisation. Work-based psychologist Dr Craig Knight helps answer this question. So please do stick around for a very interesting show. that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at AlgaCells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. AlgaCells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside you will find a vegan restaurant juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. So it doesn't seem like like there's been a large-scale return to the office. Um, lots of it has been written about it. And actually, a lot of the points I'm about to say are lifted from a, a Guardian newspaper article. But uh, in this article, also something that I've noticed myself, there really is kind of a, a tug of war uh, that staff are facing. Staff are kind of enjoying on the whole working at home and spending less time traveling there's some real problems with getting around on trains in the north of the uk at the moment and it, and in the midlands i think it's been a real problem for a lot of people uh, if you don't have to travel to work you don't have to go through the commute the vagaries of will the motorway be blocked and times of uh, car travel etc etc and you save a lot of money so for many people working from home is a positive then you've got the managers they're kind of they liking in-person interaction they like to see people uh, in the office whether that's because they really need to have people in the office or it kind of 
self-affirms their job because people are in and then they can manage them, they can talk to them. Uh, I don't know. I imagine it's a little bit of both. One thing's for sure, the London Underground, uh, the Tube, is, is uh, has much fewer travellers. It's a, a quarter of pre-pandemic levels, the amount of people travelling in the rush hour. Uh, when I read that, I found that hard to believe because I've been on, on the Tube recently and it seems pretty full to me, although it's always been full. Um, it is an international question. This is not just a problem in the UK and London. Um Apple, the US tech giant, um, got uh, into, well, I don't know if it's into trouble, but some issues. Tim Cook, the CEO, told staff that he expected to be, them to be in three days a week at the end of the summer. It didn't go down well. There was a petition against it. Uh, one high-level um, employee uh, quit to Google. So there's definitely some issues there. Uh, hybrid working, so that's kind of a, a mixture of the two coming into work occasionally, leads to smaller offices. Not everyone needs their own desk. This can lead to saving quite a lot of money on expensive office space. In fact, HSBC in uh, their headquarters in Canary Wharf, London, told staff it was looking whether to keep its uh, large HQ there when the lease was up. So maybe this is actually asking more questions than we're getting answers for. Uh, someone who can give some answers about the potential future design of offices is uh, Juliet Rain. She's a consultant ergonomist and physiotherapist. Um, I actually spoke to her from uh, Sardinia. So the first uh, question she could give an answer to was, why were you talking to me? Why are you talking to me from Sardinia? Oh, the classic love. So oh. my, my husband uh, is from the town that we live in now. And we decided uh, several years ago that my work as a consultant uh, was done quite a lot from home. So I would very often go into a company for a few days, deliver some consultancy or deliver some, um, some training or something like that. And then I would be going home and actually planning, writing, um organizing things and so we decided that i would do that from sardinia and come back um three or four times a year to actually deliver um to my clients and it's been working uh, really well for us brilliant okay fantastic well and so what i want to do is 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 talk about an aspect uh, of your work really and, and what you've sort of seen happening over the last uh, few years um to do with office layout now, we, we met at the, um, the Clerkenwell Design Week, actually at a lecture given by some very high-flying uh, designers of offices. Uh, and it was all about the future of the modern office and, and that kind of thing. And my thought is that actually, you know, the design of offices has changed enormously in the last few years and i can see you kind of nodding your head so you so we agree so kind of what, what what's going on what's what's changing about our offices now so um yeah there's there's been a lot of changes in in the last sort of probably i'd say 10 or 15 years there's been a real big focus on office design you know gone are the days of the 1970s 1980s huge open plan offices where every desk is exactly the same and you're not sure where you are in the building because it looks literally just the same and um, it's not a stimulating environment and it's not uh, it's been shown to not be brilliant for you know health and well-being especially from a mental health point of view and from a productivity point of view so uh, a lot of companies and i think it probably started with your google and your facebook you know putting in mushrooms and instead of chairs and slides to get from A to B, you know, they sort of started this, um, this thing of trying to make an office environment much more fun and a place that people actually want to be and they want to spend time. Um, and that's kind of evolved because, you know, the Google office doesn't suit every type of company. If you've got, you know, the majority of your staff are 50 plus and you do, you know, legal things you probably don't really want them sliding down a slide to get to they, a meeting they, yeah they might they might put their back out and be off absolutely you've got to be very careful so so what we've seen instead is we've seen um, what we tend to refer to now as hotelization of the office space and what that means is that you know we're almost seeing areas that almost look like the waiting area or the reception area of a, of a hotel 
um, replacing certain parts of the office. So we refer to it as soft seating. So you might find couches, benches, booths and, and different spaces. And companies are doing this to make sure that they're really becoming attractive. Now, pre-COVID, the idea was to try and um, attract and retain talent. Um, you know, we've got they've got to be competitive. So some of the big companies spent an awful lot of time and money investing in their spaces to make them really attractive, to kind of get these new people in and to keep them there so they're not going to go looking for other jobs. Um, over the COVID period, we've really seen a much higher, you know, a heightened interest in this because uh, a lot of companies are realizing they're going to have to work very hard to get people back into their office spaces. Yeah. Um, actually, one thing that I've, I've noticed is people's attitude to, well, life actually in general, not, not just work has changed. You know, they're thinking, actually, completely. do I really want to work, you know, all these hours every day? Um, I'm not sure I do. Maybe I'll go and work for someone else who's slightly less demanding. And I, I get the feeling some of the big companies are absolutely terrified that their staff are just going to melt away. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, over the pandemic, people working from home has, has worked much better than a lot of companies ever would have dreamed of. So, you know, companies have remained, on the major part, very productive um, the problem is that without that face-to-face -face collaboration, they really struggle to drive business forward. So we can do an awful lot remotely, but if we really want to build relationships, we want to have um, an, an environment and a, and a workforce who are gelled and cohesive and really doing well and moving things on in industry, whatever that industry is, um, we, we now realize we really need that face-to-face um, contact and so you know you've got a lot of people who are sitting at home and they're saying I, I don't want to have to commute an hour and a half anymore you know I'm, I'm not willing to do that I want to work from home and like you say companies are really scared because they, they know that they've got to bring people back into the office to do really well or they've got to find other ways that they can get this you know contact those what we call the water cooler conversations, you know, the conversations outside of a formal meeting, the things that happen before or after or during a smoking break or whatever it is. Um, and that's where this um, new design trend is really being driven forward. And it's being proposed to a lot of companies by designers with the idea of attracting people back into the workplace. And I think that's been the major driver, certainly over the last two years, um, to, to try and help with that. How, how about the idea of uh, not not just attracting people into the workplace, but actually making the kind of workplace more efficient and yeah. being a breeding ground for good ideas, stuff stuff like that. Now, I, I you know, obviously, if you've got rows and rows of desks all pointing in the same direction, you know, no one even really looks at each other, let alone talks to each other and invents the next great idea but so you need something a bit more collaborative than that but this there's this term collaborative workspaces what is a collaborative workspace yeah, it's a great question it's anything that you want it to be is is the <laughs> is the answer to that and that's the answer always in ergonomics it's always it depends um so a, a collaborative workspace should be a space that is open and flexible and it encourages open conversations. Now, some companies might view the areas where people are working and eating as a collaborative workspace. And they sort of have multi-purpose spaces, if you like, zones where you could touch down and have a meeting, but equally you could sit and eat your sandwich. Um, they tend to be non-desk focused, okay? So you might have larger tables that encourage more people to sit around. You might have the, the sort of booth, almost like, you know, an American diner, that kind of booth feeling, which gives you something a bit closed and a bit private to allow these conversations, but always away from a traditional desk feel. That's what collaborative spaces should be. Some of them you'll find encourage standing. So you'll find sort of higher work surfaces. So tables that are much higher, usually with some stools that are much higher. But the idea of that is it encourages people to also stand whilst they're having a chat, because we've seen in the research that standing 
and being able to move a little bit is actually very good for idea generation. So for, for creativity and for getting ideas out there, having sort of that little bit of movement involved within your conversation can actually be really, really positive. So you'll see different height surfaces, you'll see different textures, you'll see different um, levels of acoustic protection. So some areas very open, some areas very closed. And a lot of, of, of this sort of design really depends on what people are really doing within that company. You know, we said before, Google offices are not suitable for every type of worker, but likewise, you know, a big open collaborative space for a call center might not be the most, um, you know, the best use of yeah. space um, yeah. anyway. Um, and presumably a member of staff, if they're in the office all day, they wouldn't be expected to be in one of these particular spaces all day. They'll they'll move around doing different things in different areas, which is something yeah. which is pretty. I mean, I'm I'm 56. You know, it's a bit alien to old dinosaurs like me, really. Yeah. Well, what we do tend to find is, is what we call nesting. So we do tend to find that different people gravitate towards different environments. And it might be the natural light that's in different areas. It might be the acoustic protection that's in certain areas. It might be that they're close to colleagues that they want to be close to. But we do tend to find, you know, with the vast majority of people, they tend to nest. So they tend to want to gravitate towards a particular area. The issue that we do have is we often find, especially in the younger generation who have grown up with, you know, with laptops and with portable devices and maybe don't currently have any aches and pains or problems when using them. They're tending to nest in these collaborative spaces because they're fun and open and they see their colleagues come and they can all get together and work on a table together, for example, and they've been provided with a laptop that allows them to do that. Um, but that isn't actually how the areas are designed to be used. So it is a danger and it is something that when companies create these collaborative spaces, they really need to be, you know, putting some level of training in for their workforce just to say, look, you know, this is how you get the most out of this env environment. But when you're going to do this kind of work, maybe think about using a more traditional desk. Um, and what we're seeing in a lot of offices, which is really positive, is looking at, um increasing the adjustability within the normal office area as well. So we're seeing a lot more uh, companies putting in height adjustable surfaces. We're seeing them put in better quality seating. Um, we're seeing them put in some areas that have, you know, real acoustic protection, like the little sound booths that you get for when people yeah, yeah. need to have private conversations. Um, so it's really about helping people understand how should I use my environment? What's the best for me and for the tasks that I do? And if we do that well, it can really boost productivity. Yeah, all right. Um, let, 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 let's look at that a little bit more because obviously it, it seems to me with these new designs, you know, they're less boring, you know, so people want to be there. It's a bit more exciting. Yeah. Potentially more creative if people, if people are talking to a little bit, each other a little bit more. But you, you, you touched on, you know, potentially a couple of drawbacks in that, well, the one I picked up on is, you know, if you're using a laptop all day on a sofa, you know, that's yeah. not very good for you. And you might get away with it when you're 20, but age 40, you might be thinking, I wish I hadn't done that for the last 20 years. So, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. We've, yeah. We've only just solved some of these issues when we're all sitting at our desk, same desk all day in, in, in lines. And now we broke, we stopped that. And are, are we creating another load of problems for ourselves, potentially? <laughs> So, so the, the ideas behind um, posture have evolved somewhat in the last few years as well. And what we can see quite strongly is that exact posture, so the actual posture people adopt, doesn't seem to be linked to particular issues. So it's not that everybody who slumps will get lower back pain, for example, or everybody who sits looking one, one direction because they're twisting to look at a screen or looking down at the laptop screen will get neck pain. You know, th there isn't that correlation. And, you know, the difference there is probably the stuff outside of work. So if they're doing the same postures inside of work, it's general lifestyle and movement. So, you know, I spend a lot of my time training people how to do DSE assessments and how to support people at work. Um, and the way I train people has changed a lot in the last few years. And now the focus really is on, you know, yes, there are better ways that we can position ourselves. But the bottom line is we need to, to get people moving. 
Because if we're staying still, and this is probably the big problem that we've seen with people working from home and everything's online, um, if, if, we're, if we're just not moving sufficiently during the day, it doesn't matter how perfect your posture is when you are sitting still, you're still sitting still. So, you know, we might find, and we often do find frustratingly with these 20-year-olds who come in, well, I don't, I don't suffer with any problems. And it's because, you know, they haven't yet got the full responsibilities of life. They're able to go to the gym five times a week. They're able to go out and socialize. They're able to do stuff outside of work. And that really works to prevent the, the problems that, you know, when your life is maybe a lot more sedentary the problems that we tend to see. So the focus really is on movement. And that's the other thing about zoning the office into different areas is if we can encourage people not to always be sat at the same desk and they're going to another place to make that private phone call and then they're going to another place to have that face-to-face -face meeting or even dial into a, a hybrid meeting and then they're going back to you know one type of desk where they can set themselves up really well because they're doing some more focused work and then, you know, later on, again, they're going to go and sit with a colleague and work after lunch for a couple of hours because they just want to be close to that person. Then we're really introducing a lot more movement. And that's one of the, the positive sides if we train people that that's what we're trying to do. So, you know, it's it's not about exact posture. Um, mm -hmm. It is about movement. But you're absolutely right. If we've got somebody sitting with a laptop, you know, heaven forbid, on a coffee table, so really low, and I see it, um, and they, you know, they're doing their meetings from there and they're, you know, sitting, reaching forward and stooping down and, and doing a lot of focus work. We would expect that in the coming years, it's more likely that they would get issues, especially if their movement outside of work yeah. starts to drop down. I get it. So, so the way you help a lot of companies is kind of training staff to, to, to use these new areas uh, fully. Yeah. Um, so it's easy to say that but i guess you've also got to try and break habits yeah try, so now now that strikes me as 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 quite tricky actually getting people to break habits it might not be a lifetime but it could be of you know a couple of years or a few months yeah absolutely and that's why it's that. really well it's, it's important timing is important we don't want to break habits we want to instill good habits so okay. when yeah. companies are changing the workplace or when they're bringing people onto their workforce they need to be getting that training right right at the beginning so we need to be informing people about these different areas and what we often do is is myself and colleagues we often go in at the sort of beginning of, of a company moving into a workplace and we're physically there we're physically there to do little workshops with people in different areas teach them how to sort of set, the, set themselves up at the normal desks talk to them about why they should and shouldn't be using certain areas for different tasks give them ideas about how they can use the different areas which they might not have thought about but the important thing if we're trying to instill behaviors is it's got to mean something to the individual because there's no point doing a standard thing that you expect is going to suit 3,000 people in one office because 3,000 people are not the same. Their brains don't work the same. They need to be taught in different ways. Some people need written materials that they can look back on and digest. Some people might need a video. Some people might need a face-to-face. -face. Um, some people might need a physical de demonstration. They might need to try it themselves to instill that learning. So it's important that we think about the diversity within a company as well when we're trying to get this right. So in an ideal world, what we type, try to do is we would get involved at the design stage. Um, more often what happens is we're not involved right at the beginning and we're then having to kind of retrofit things or or sort of fix problems later on, sure. which obviously then costs more. So you know, if we can get in at the design stage with the designers who, you know, are obviously going to make sure everything's compliant legally, fits all the standards and looks great. And they're looking at flow and light conditions and air quality and everything like that. If we can bring in from an ergonomics and a physiotherapy point of view, that real health and well-being. But as part of that, really looking at what do those people do? So what that's what we call a task analysis, is we need to understand within a company exactly what do different people within that company do as their tasks. Because sure. if we understand that, 
we can guide them as to how to do those tasks well and where in an office they should be doing it, but also help them get their collaborative spaces right, you know, their, their open spaces. Because if the tasks that the majority of people do do not suit those environments, there's no point having those environments cover 50% of the floor, floor space. Maybe we need more. <laughs> It'd be empty, yeah. yeah, or full and used badly. So, so you know, we need to do that. Do 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 you find that actually designers are calling you up and saying, right, I'd like you to be on board now, or you know, obviously you'd like more of that. But is is that starting to happen? Um, unfortunately, it tends not to, because you know we all think that we you know we all think we're the, the best at what we do and you know especially designers who've done it before and and they've you know put things in and often the, the top end clients you know the managers are super happy with their environment because it takes a while for us to see problems mm. so often this feedback doesn't necessarily go back to the designers so they don't necessarily realize you know two or three years down the line what we're having to change you know unless the company goes back to that designer for retrofit design um so you know there's and, and also the other thing is cost every, every designer wants to deliver with the lowest cost possible for their client mm -hmm. so if you add in the cost of the ergonomics consultant which might just be one day of consultancy to just sign things off and tweak things a little bit then you know that that's not a huge cost but if you're going to get you know real good collaboration where we're looking at task analysis to really understand the company and the needs of the company. We're feeding that into the design team, giving them sort of look, specification wise, it'd be great if we could have, you know, 30% of desks do this and we've got an area that does this and we need meeting spaces that can hold up to 200 people, for example. If we can help them and support them, the, the end product is always going to be better. And that's either in a whole office or it might be a certain aspect of an office like recently i've been involved in the redesign of a reception area which was going down a very potentially difficult route where the receptionists themselves have said we want a desk that's higher but based on no real foundation of knowledge and, and information and it was it was completely the wrong thing to do um for nine out of ten of the people who worked at that reception desk um, and they would have introduced that higher work surface and then had problems with footstools having to get specialist chairs that go within a certain range and all sorts of other problems yeah. and we've managed to work with the designer before it was too late to make sure they've designed an absolutely wonderful fully adjustable probably the first of its kind reception desk and that's really exciting to get involved in those um, and get it right all right well it it, it sounds like there is room for improvement, but, you know, good things yeah. are happening in this kind of new look office. So, yeah, um, a couple of questions. Is it your your experience that this, this, this is a difficult question, an impossible question, really, but I, I specialise in them. Generally speaking, these these sort of more modern offices with different sections, um, ha have they been proven to you to be better for people f physically? So we've got to think about the connection between mental health and physical health. That was going to be my next question, mental health. So answer them both <laughs> at the same time. So, so from a mental health point of view, absolutely. If we can stimulate people and make their life that little bit more enjoyable because they're, they're in different spaces like this, then absolutely it's a positive. That then can have a, an immediate benefit on the physical health because if we are more relaxed if we're less anxious less depressed one we don't feel pain in the same way so even if we have problems the pain is is physically sort of less of an issue for you um but but two you know just the physical tension that you hold you know we know when somebody's anxious their their shoulders are up towards their ears and you can see the tension in them so if we don't have that because people are you know not dreading coming in because they're always sat next to that person who chats really loud on their on their video calls or you know there's somebody who types really loud or the temperature's not right in that particular area of the office if we give people that flexibility and that adjustability then that has a, an immediate impact on mental health um and then the the benefits of that on physical health are great the the problems, obviously, is the physical side when people don't know how to set themselves up. Yes. Um, that's that's going to be a problem in any kind of office space. No. All right. So 
All right, now let's look at things from the employer's point of view. They spent all this money on a new office. The staff are happy. They're in great physical shape. Do they get better productivity? Do they get better collaborative working? What's in it for them? Yeah, so they should for both of those. So if they make, if they get it right, so if they encourage the use of those spaces correctly, they absolutely should get both of those. They should get you know, a happier, healthier workforce. If you're happy and healthy, you're not distracted by pain and you, you're you motivated to do your work, you're going to be more productive. So, you and, know, if you're, course, if you're mentally stimulated. And less of a turnover in staff as well, which actually costs companies yeah. a lot of money, I think. Huge amount of money, you know, just, just getting, some, you know, advertising for talent, recruiting talent, it takes time. And, you know, it takes an awful lot of money. So if you can keep that talent in and develop that talent in-house, then that's got to be a better way to, you know, to move things forward. Um, but, yeah, you know, from a productivity point of view or from a driving business forward point of view, if you've got the right kind of collaboration at the right time in the right place, then ideas are generated and conversations happen and things move forward. Um from an employee point of view, you also find that people who are face to face in a company and participating in these kind of informal conversations, they tend to be the people that go higher up quicker within a company because they are more memorable. They're there. And so for somebody who is starting their career, if they're going into the office and they are in the right spaces, being visible to their managers, you know, being shown, showing themselves to be productive and and participating in these this sort of collaboration, which is encouraged by the environment, um, then then they're the people that come to mind when they're thinking of, oh, we need somebody that can do this or somebody that can do this other task. Um, so we do tend to see there is a link as well between career progression and active participation in these sorts of uh, situations. Yeah. All right. And, Collaborative space helps that. Active participation doesn't necessarily mean competence, I'm thinking. No, but then, you know, if you look at any any structure within a company, I wouldn't necessarily say the people at the top are always, probably a controversial thing to say, they're not necessarily always the best at what they do. They're the people that have been in the right place at the right time and, you know, put themselves out there a lot of the time. So, so that's probably horribly controversial, but... <laughs> Yeah, but there'll be movers and shakers. And actually, that's often what you need to, to get things done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Interesting. All right. So look, if people are listening to this and say there's someone who runs a big bank or something, I'm thinking, right, I'm building a new office. I must get Julia on board to make sure everything goes smoothly. Mm -hmm. How? Uh, well, two things, really. How can they get hold of you? And where in general can they go for more information about this sort of stuff? Yeah, so I mean, there's lots of there's lots of places you can get information, and I think it, it depends where you are geographically. So I I consult um, sort of on on a sort of global scale. Um, I consult very often through other companies as well. So to be able to deliver larger projects where we need more resources, I collaborate with a few different companies who tend to be UK based. Um, so yeah, you can go to find me on LinkedIn. Um, so Juliet Rain on LinkedIn. Um, you can drop me an email, Juliet at epf.online. That's echo papa foxtrot.online. Um, you know, I'm more than happy to have informal conversations with people wherever they are to find out, you know, what approach should they be taking. Um, but yeah, you know, wherever people are, you know, from on a on a sort of global scale, I can't recommend enough getting in touch with um, an ergonomist or a ergonomist with a health background if they are going to be looking at trying to instill some kind of behavior change or they're looking at how do we design better to you know attract people in or keep people in get people back to the office whatever it is or just simply reduce um injuries um you know that that's a good starting point um, and i'm more than happy to you know have those conversations with whoever needs them okay perfect that's uh sounds very useful Great advice for business leaders. So, Juliet, thank you very much indeed for chatting. No worries. Thank you very much for your time today, Mike.
the station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alga-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alga-Cells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alga-Cells, life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. The station that makes you feel good. Still on the subject of harmonising the workplace and enticing people back to the office, and can art play a part in all of this? I talked to work-based psychologist Dr Craig Knight, um, who knows all about this, but my first question to him was, actually, what is a work-based psychologist anyway? Well, in my case, it's somebody who looks at how well-being, performance and engagement can be maximised in the workplace. And those three things tend to go together. And for this particular survey, we're really looking at, at mental well-being and, and happiness. When you said that, my mind immediately went back to my maths school days and I thought of a Venn diagram where all those things intersect. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually that's not too bad. And we haven't found a place yet where people have been too happy or where their mental health has been too good. You know, there, there always seems to be a place where people are at their best when they when they feel good. And but that's quite a nice thing to find. OK, well, let, let's explore that a little bit, because there's been a lot of discussion about um, and, and this is more related to office working, I think. C certainly, this is since COVID, you know, are people going back to work? Do they prefer working at home or is that a bit lonely or do they like to be working with their dog underneath the desk? You know, and it, it depends kind of who you talk to. You get you get the impression of, right, we're all working from home or right, we're all going back now. So what what's what what's the, the latest as far as uh you're concerned as far as you're, you know, you, you think might be happening? What's the, the current thought? Well, I think what finally, I mean, if you start at 2019 and go back, there's almost been nothing new in office development for 100 years. All the stuff that was said to be new isn't. And now we have a chance to make the office a place where somebody want to be rather than where they have to be. And it's a really good chance to grasp this. And this is why I think that the Brookfield properties need to be congratulated on this, because using art is quite psychologically useful as a way of, first of all, just of enriching somewhere. Because what you get is you get something either on the wall or on the floor or wherever it happens to be that is a talking point that people interpret in different ways and that will get people coming together. And the most important point about an office is that it needs to be psychologically engaging, which is why pre-pandemic and what some companies are trying now, this lean, sterile, Spartan box that people were working in should be kicked into touch. We know that's scientifically toxic. And using art in this way is a way to eradicate that and move on to this space okay. where people... We'll, we'll, we'll explore that in a moment. This sure. is sort of making the office a, a pleasant place to be and art yeah. is one potential way of doing it. But let's just step back a little bit. Do, do different... Yeah age groups have different thoughts on whether they want to work at home or go to the office? That's a lovely question. And you'll know that the results of this survey found that young people, Generation Z, if you like, like to be in the office quite a lot. Their, their cohort likes to be in the office more than any other. But generally speaking, it's a thing that affects people per se. Most of us, want to be where we feel, this is about to start the point, where we feel happiest, where we feel most at ease. 
and where we can generate that space is where we want to be, where we perform better, where we where we where, where we engage better. And that affects all ages, but this survey found that it applies particularly to young people. Well, I, I so I'm you know I'm I'm not as young as I was, and um, I quite like working at home. And I think I think that's because you know I've I've made my friends, I, I've I've met my wife, I've got kids. I'm yeah. I'm kind of happy. I don't yeah. have a, a real need to go out and meet loads of new people. Do you think it's as simple as that? Um, nothing's ever as simple as that but yeah. nothing's ever simple and what we what we tend to find with, with people that do work from home quite a lot is that there needs to be somewhere that they go in where they can have proper physical interaction with people that, that's a really valuable thing so even if you work from home a lot it's a very useful thing to be able to go in and press the flesh of your, of your, your colleagues and friends so to speak and if you do work from home a lot, again, what we like is some kind of almost an umbilical link, if you want, to the workplace. And use this analogy before. Do you remember Harry Potter and the film in Harry Potter, where he had a way had pictures where people walk from one frame to another frame in another building? Yeah. Do you remember that? It's yeah. quite good if you can use art, and art's a good way of doing it, to connect, say, a, a group of people have engaged in choice. So you have a choice that people have enriched their workspaces. So you can get a space at home and the space in the office. So there's, there's a link between the two. So working home is fine, but we also want to have the office of a place where people want to go because it's good for people to have a social communion. Yeah, all right. So let, let, let's move on. It's, it's got to be a place where people want to go. And hmm. uh, so, you know, the idea is that using art somehow can make that happen a little bit more, engage people with the essentially four walls and the floor and the ceiling that is that is the office and make it somehow a bit more of an interesting place a place with a bit of buzz now how do you make that happen it's got to be a bit more than just picking something that you buy down the market on the wall hasn't it presumably absolutely i mean look art is a, is a useful cipher it's a useful tool it's in them because it's so varied uh, and there are different ways you can do it now the more you engage the more you engage with any, any particular medium of enrichment the better it is so if we'll, we'll stick with art because that's what this book feels it was about so if you look at art if, if you just put pictures on the wall then that's fine that will enrich the space to an extent if you, however, then get people involved in what's going on in the works, they say, what sort of cultural events would you like to get involved with? What sort of art do you like? You might not like art. You might have a sculpture. You might want an artist in your workspace. If you then get involved in what's going on, that then boosts all of these key organisational variables we're talking about quite considerably by a number of percent. So the more you get involved, the better. But for heaven's sake, start with something that's going to get people engaged in the first place. So how, how do you get people involved? Do you like, okay, you have a questionnaire. What sort of art do you want on the wall? Or, you know, what's, what, how does it work? Well, that kind of stuff. I mean, what we, there's the thing called the tyranny of choice, which you don't, you don't say, well, here you go, guys, what do you want? And they've got this massive array of things. It's best to give people a choice that people are comfortable with. So here's a range of artists. Who would you like to work with? Here's a array of pictures. Here's an array of things you can have. You choose what's best in your workspace. Then you get people talking. What, what happens then when you get people talking? you get this lovely thing called congruent identity. So you and I are in a team. So we decide what we want in the space and we therefore bond. And because the organisation has trusted us to do that, we bond with the organisation that let us do it. So it reduces us and them. And again, that builds up you know, mental cohesion, psychological belief within an organisation. Okay, I, I, that, that sounds like perfectly logical. I, I had another thought. What about if, um, as well as deciding... Uh, on on the art that's going to be and you, you do that as a group or whatever you could decide right who in the group is going to make the art that's going to go on the wall you know you, you you could have it the 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 people that work there it could be their art on the wall what about that it could be and that's happened we i worked with a company in exeter for example and uh, they found amongst their midst a really good photographer and that photographer went around and took pictures of the Southwest because that's where they loved being. They really liked being in the Southwest of the UK. And those artworks were put on the wall by the company. They paid for those wraparound canvas prints. So all these photographs were canvas prints and they went all around the building. And my God, that got people engaged. I, I, I can imagine, yeah. And I bet the guy that took the photos absolutely loved it. Oh, she did. I mean, she was a really good photographer to start with. 
And her work then went on the walls and she, and she got commissioned internally from wedding photographs, all kinds of things came out of that. So she, she did really well out of it. But the point was that art really brought the company together. Okay, I mean, it, it, it sounds like a, a lovely thing. Now, the boss is going to be saying, all right, this is all very well, but, you know, come on, this is going to cost me some money. What about, I, I want some better productivity. I want a bit of proof that this is actually going to be worth my while. Is there, is there any such proof or is this all just a bit, you know, it's rather nice, but, you know. You're Mike. Um, okay, first of all, what we have here is survey, all right? So surveys aren't that good at measuring productivity. So what surveys are good at measuring mental well-being, measuring engagement, measuring identity, measuring happiness, measuring that kind of thing. But what we can say, and I know I've done quite a lot of it, is that this science is bang in line with all the quantitative objective stuff that we've done, where engagement and enrichment and happiness does increase productivity. There is nothing at all in these data that suggests that we have anything other than a complete congruence of ideas. So yes, the more that you engage people, the science shows, the more that you engage, the more they perform. And we would love to do that as a stage two, because it is possible, for example, that we could demonstrate not only do people feel more creative with art, but they are more creative with art. We could measure that, and that would be fascinating. Love to do that. Okay, well, how would you do that? How would you design that experiment? Well, there are loads of ways. I mean, there, there are lots of ways in which you can look at studies. I mean, if you want a quick, it's slightly off piece, but I'll give you a quick example. Right? If I, I give you 90 seconds, think of as many potential, not practical, but potential uses you can think of for that pair. Now, that's one creativity experiment. And we could try that and we could see what effect art has on that and other examples. So there are lots of things we can do just using the kind of stuff that this report highlights on so we use the same measures we could put the same amounts of engagement and enrichment and move on and see what happens that as well as being engaged as well as being happy what does it do to their um productive processes right no I, I can imagine now because i you know i i'm in my office at home but actually i've got art on the walls here and yeah. um, it, it makes me feel much happier and um and, you know it's, it's one of many things uh, that can help the creative process, uh, I'm sure. Which actually, in some ways, brings me on to my my next question. Sure. Um, it's a bit of sort of chicken and egg. So, if you if you have a place, uh, an office where people are creative, yeah, is that because they engage with the art on the walls in these different ways, or is it because they work in a place which is more likely to have art on the wall anyway? You know, it's a place that encourages engagement with the staff by all these different ways and having art on the wall is just a symptom of that anyway yep yep right okay again this, this leans into the science that's gone before because that's a really good question as a one-off what we find is that whether you are a complete plank like me or let's say an aesthete like you you know you know your art and i don't enriching a space with art or enriching space per se particularly with art will increase variables regardless if you think of, let me put this in a context, any animal you like, right? Let's just say you think of a gorilla in a, in a stark, you think of Guy the gorilla when he first arrived in London Zoo, in those stark concrete enclosures. You can put an ant in a jam jar with nothing. As soon as you enrich those spaces, those animals start to behave in a more content way, shall we say. They start to relax more because they're around things. They've got things with which they psychologically engage. They're miserable in a stark condition. As soon as you put art, pictures, plants, whatever it is around the space, they become happier. And we're just the same. We are not designed to go into stark boxes unless there's a specific choice that we make. But otherwise, generally speaking, we're not. And art, this Brookfield Property Survey, is really good at showing, has come out to say, look, look how good art is at one, enriching a space, and two, they look what happens when you get engagement going on at the same time. Does that answer your question? That was a long Yeah, answer. no, I, I, think, I think it does answer the question. Um, <laughs> yes. you, you did speak about productivity. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, are, are, are there figures? This, this is done on the back of uh, so a quick survey that, that's been done. Are, are there any figures attached to it for increase in, in productivity, whatever that may be? 
they're, they're very wise. The company that did this was a company called Perspectus Global, all right? And they, they said a really good question, and they're very wise. And what they said is they said, here is what people think of in terms of their creativity. And they were very wise to bracket that. This is what they think of. Because we know that you can't measure creativity, productivity by just asking people about it. You know, if you go for a marathon run, for example, with nobody timing you, it's not going to say, Mike, how quick think you do it? And yeah. you go, Mike, faster than most Salah, my friend, at the end of it, because we've got to measure it quantitatively. And that's not what we do. So this survey is very much about looking at, at mental well-being, about you know, engagement and happiness, as we said before. Um, but that's a, again, that, that's how this works. This is a survey, and survey is really good at subjective measures, and it's been beautifully constructed to tap into that. Okay, no, I'll, I'll answer that very nice. Now, if, if people are listening to this, maybe there's a, a boss somewhere and thinking, hmm, do you know what? This could really go nicely with our, our company ethos or, or this sort of thing, having yeah. some art around, or just more generally, how to breed a bit more engagement with their staff you know they want a bit of help where can you suggest some good resources to go to to give them a bit of information a bit of help i think a really good site would be go to the brookfield property anyway because that's where this report is and if you go to the brookfield website you can pull off a report and it will also give you signposts in that report of other places to go so that's probably a good place to go you could also look at me if you wanted to find me on LinkedIn, Craig Knight, I'm easy enough to find, and I can give you other resources as well. So that, that, that's easy, but you will find some stuff on the Brookfield property site just to kick off. That would be a, an excellent starting point. Okay. All right. That, that sounds useful. Um, so I think that's a perfect place to leave it. So um, Craig, thank you very much indeed for chatting. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show, and they were Juliet Rain, consultant ergonomist and physiotherapist, and Dr. Craig Knight, a work-based psychologist. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again next time.